Hello, everyone. Welcome to Pages of HR. I'm your host, Bianca Heron, lead editor at HR Daily Advisor. This podcast provides insightful conversations about HR-related books with the writers who create them. By the end of these conversations, we hope that you'll have actionable insights for your business, best practices to tap, and new information to ponder. Today's episode is a special one as we're talking and learning about what it means to create an LGBTQ2 inclusive workplace. I'm joined by Michael Bach, author of Alphabet Soup, The Essential Guide to LGBTQ2 Inclusion at Work. Alphabet Soup is a must-read for HR leaders and organizations and serves as a critical guide to creating a truly inclusive workplace for all, regardless of sexuality, gender identity, or gender expression. Whether you consider yourself an ally or don't even know what it means to be one, you'll come away armed with everything you need to know to create a safe, productive, and thriving organization. Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Bianca. It's great to be here. Absolutely. Absolutely. Of course, I'm super excited as always, and I'm going to have to bring the jazz down, (laughs) but we're going to delve right into things here. Michael, please tell me what inspired you to write this timely book? Well, I have been working in what we now call the uh, LGBTQ2 plus inclusion space for over 30 years, um, which your listeners can't see the uh, the topography of my face, but it shows. And yet, and, and we've made a lot of progress. I'll be the first to say we made a lot of progress. And and yet at the same time, we're still having the conver- same conversations that we've been having for 30 years. And things like, why does inclusion matter? Why does safety matter? Um, why does being open about one's sexuality or gender uh, matter? Um, we're still having the same conversations. And, and frankly, I just get tired of giving the same answers. So I wrote a book that I could hand to someone and say, here, this is, just read this. It sort of answers all of your questions. Come back to me afterwards. And I think I hopefully succeeded in creating a resource guide that really helps people to grasp what can be a very complex conversation and also helps them to uh, move into a role of more active ally. Wow, I love that. You said that, of course, you've been you've been working in this space for the past 30 years, which is amazing. And yes, granted, we have made progress. But of course, now it seems like the ticker is really moving forward. Mm-hmm. And I think, of course, that has something a, a lot to do with uh, COVID-19 pandemic, but also just a lot with the way of the world right now. Social unrest, you know, all these other things that are going on. And I know we're going to delve into this a bit more later, but why now, after everything that we've gone through the past, what, th- four years almost now, mm-hmm. why is it m- more important than ever today to have safe inclusive workspaces where people of all backgrounds feel safe and heard and included? I, I think it's it's critically important to have those inclusive spaces because now more than ever, we are in a really uh, challenging situation as employers as it relates to our b- ability to run our businesses, whether our businesses are for-profit, non-profit, public sector, private sector, small or large, doesn't matter. 
you know, we are facing massive labor shortage. We're having huge supply chain issues and we are struggling to keep up, let alone grow to serve our customers, our citizens, our students, whatever our, our constituency is. And the only way to ensure that we can, or one of the ways I should name, I mean, not the only way, but one of the ways that we need to uh, get through some of these turbulent times is making sure that our people are included, are, are as engaged in their work as possible. And in order to be completely engaged in work, you have to feel included. You have to feel safe. You have to feel included. You have to feel welcomed. You have to feel like it's a space where you, you are encouraged, where you can thrive. And in order to do all that, you have to recognize the differences that people bring to the workplace with them. You know, I am gay. I am gender nonconforming. I live with a disability. I don't get to leave those things at the door. And if I'm facing, whether it's homophobic, transphobic, uh, ableist comments in the workplace, if I'm hearing that, I cannot be as engaged. So employers really have a lot of challenges to face. Add on top of that, specific to the two SLGBTQI plus communities, we are in a bit of a battle, particularly in the United States where legislation is being passed on a daily basis to ban the participation of individuals from participation in society. I mean, just in the past two years, over 30 states have enacted legislation or executive orders from governors to ban the participation of, of trans and gender diverse students from participating in sports. That's in the past two years. And, and never mind the world. I mean, we could talk about how Russia has just introduced legislation um, essentially making uh, LGBTQ2 plus people illegal. Just in the United States, we're seeing such pushback and it's all connected, you know, to a lot of other aspects of politics in, in the United States, which we could get into with this pushback against diversity and saying that diversity is bad and they want to actively oppress people from marginalized groups. We've seen that with uh, uh, um, voting rights amongst marginalized and, and voters of color in particular states. You know, we're in a bit of a war. So you've got all of these competing priorities coming together at the same time. And employers can't control what's going on in the political realm. That's outside of their purview. But what they can do is, is control their sphere of influence, which is their workplace, and make sure that it's one where people can come to work and do their jobs and be successful. Absolutely. I love that. And so beautifully said, uh, Michael, there. thank you for that. Now, you've prepared an excerpt, correct? I have, yes. Would you please read it? My pleasure. Um, so this is from the opening thoughts section of the book. Alphabet Soup is a guide that will take you, my faithful reader, on a journey of discovery with the objective of turning you and your organization into active allies, a term I explain in the book. Like it or not, LGBTQ2 people need allies to help us achieve that elusive goal of true inclusion. Everything in this book can be applied to a workplace and engaging with employees, as well as interactions with volunteers, customers, students, 
parishioners, or just everyday people on the street. When it comes to LGBTQ2 inclusion at work and in communities, I'm always reminded of one of my favorite conversations. Many years ago, I was speaking with the head of HR for an organization located in a Western European country that shall remain nameless to protect the guilty. She was telling me about the company's work in diversity and inclusion with no mention of work in the LGBTQ2 communities. When I probed, she defensively explained that they don't discuss, quote, these things, end quote, at work. I looked over at a photo on her desk and asked if the man in it with her was her husband, to which she responded in the affirmative. It was a wedding photo, and she was wearing a white dress, so the chances were good. I pointed out that the photo was a statement of her sexual orientation. I likely didn't need to ask what her sexual orientation she identified with because she had it on display. I probably should have asked, but let's focus on the point. That was an eye-opening moment for her. Wow. A small nugget, if you will, that we don't even pay attention to, but yet you're telling other people that that's something that they have to keep when you're sexuality is on display and you're not even connecting the dots here. Yeah. Yeah. When we, when we tend to talk about sexuality and gender, what we forget is that heterosexuality and cisgenderism are sexuality and genders. And we are straight and cisgender until proven otherwise. Society assumes that we are straight and cisgender until we come out. And I put that in air quotes as a heterosexual person, you never have to come out because everyone assumes that you're going to be heterosexual. As a gender diverse person, uh, or as a, a cisgender person rather, you have to come out because it is the default is that you are, are cisgender. And it's in those conversations that I try to get people to realize that we talk about sexuality and gender at work all the time. Yeah. We're just talking about heterosexuality and cisgenderism. Absolutely, because it's the norm. It is the norm. Now, this ties in so great to uh, one of my first points that I really want us to delve into here. Of course, um, Alphabet Soup, it lays out a roadmap for how to ensure workspaces and, of course, community spaces are safe for LGBTQ2 plus people with clarity and, of course, a healthy dose of humor as well, uh, helping readers to gain a clear understanding of several things. And the first thing... Um, ties into what we just spoke about here, sexuality, gender identity, and gender expression. And of course, there are different things and it matters. Can you delve into that, please? Sure. Well, I, I fear that we as a community have actually confused things because when we say LGBTQ2+, and it, I, I should also say there are a lot of different initialisms that your listeners will hear they might hear LGBT, LGBTQ, LGBTQIA, et cetera. Um, at, at the time I wrote the book, I was using LGBTQ2+. I've actually now changed for a variety of reasons. But when we talk about that initialism, LGBTQ2+, we're talking about sexuality. We're talking about gender. So the L, the G, and the B, lesbian, gay, and bisexual, are exclusively sexual orientations. The T sometimes stands for transgender in most, in, in, more commonly we hear trans or trans identified. That is about gender. The Q and the two, queer and two spirit, which is a term used by some North American indigenous people who are also members of the LGBTQ plus community. K 
can be either a sexuality or a gender or both. And the plus sign is intended to be an indicator that when we say LGBTQ2+, we're talking about a raft of different identities that are not included in those specific letters and numbers. The point about gender, gender identity, gender expression, that's a very complex topic. And so I'll go through them quickly just to, to clarify. So first is we need to talk about sex assigned at birth. So when you're born, doctor, nurse, doula, plumber, somebody looks down and assigns a gender to you based on your genitals. I say gender because what they usually say is it's a boy or it's a girl. And what they actually should be saying is it's male or it's female because male and female are sex assignments. It's about biology. Boy and girl are genders. You can't actually tell a person's gender based on their genitals. There is a third aspect of sex assignment and that's intersex. An intersex person is a person who's born with some combination of both male and female sex characteristics. That's an umbrella term, covers about 1% of children are born intersex, but oftentimes those go unnoticed because they're internal and not visible to the human eye. That's sex assigned at birth. Gender or gender identity is how a person identifies. It's what a person feels versus what they see in the mirror. So you may be assigned male at birth, as I was, and you may identify as a man. That makes you cisgender. C-I-S, it's Latin. It essentially means the same. But if you were trans, you might have been assigned male at birth, but identify as a woman. Trans, also Latin, it means different. Gender expression is how a person presents their gender. And that is based on things like your your dress, how you dress, facial hair, body type, any number of things, and how those things are perceived by society. So having a beard is a masculine gender norm. Uh, wearing makeup is a feminine gender norm. And that's how, the, how those things are perceived by society. Your gender identity and your gender expression may not be the same thing. So you might identify as non-binary, meaning you do not identify as either a man or woman, but you may present as traditionally feminine. The, the two things are not necessarily interconnected. They're interrelated, but they're not interconnected. So as, I'll use myself as an example. I was assigned male at birth. I identify as a man, but I also identify as gender non-conforming, meaning to me, this is what it means to me, that I'm not your typical man. I knew the entire score to a chorus line before I was born. And for a long time, I thought that made me really gay. But what I've realized that, that that's about my gender and how my gender presents. So I, I paint my nails. I am more feminine in my presentation and my voice. I, I, you know, I'm not your typical masculine man. So my gender expression is more, is more non-conforming than it is typically masculine. So it's, it is a complicated conversation. And I think we have confused people when we say LGBTQ2+, 
because they think we're talking about one thing. Yeah. But you can be straight and trans. You can be gay and non-binary. You can be bisexual and gender non-conforming. The two things are not are not directly connected at all. And we've confused matters by putting them together. Wow. I, I will be remiss if I did not say, Michael, this is my first time having an in-depth conversation about sexuality, gender, gender identity, excuse me, uh, and gender expression. So this is a complete learning curve for me as well. And it is completely mind-blowing too to know that these things are interrelated and not necessarily interconnected. Is that correct? Absolutely. I'll tell you a, a quick anecdote, which will uh, have your listeners' heads exploding. So a very dear friend of mine was assigned male at birth. And in his late teens, early 20s, he came out as gay. And then in his late 20s, he realized that he wasn't a gay man. He was actually a woman. So he transitioned and came out as a straight woman. So he was sexually having relationships with men still. He then, she, she then, excuse me, realized that she wasn't straight at all and she was a lesbian. So she's now in relationships with women. She's a trans woman who's in relationships with women. I always joke with her that she could have skipped a couple of those steps, <laughs> but it was a, a process for her to come to terms with all of that. Now, you know, keeping in mind, she came out, you know, she's my age. So she came out 30 plus years ago where we didn't have anywhere near the level of understanding about gender as we do today. Yeah. Um, it, it's a it was a very different conversation back then, very much in that binary of either you're straight or you're gay. And uh, so that those things are, are related, but they're not uh, they're not interconnected. Absolutely. And a wonderful example as well. Uh, I think that, like you said, she came out 30 years ago, but also during that time, finding herself going through those different, um, I'm going to say phases, if that's okay to say. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to, to truly know who she is and what she wants. Uh, and when in society, it's just, okay, you're born as a man or female or, or, or male, and then you're gay or you're lesbian or you're um, bisexual, those were pretty much the common conversation. That was it. That was it. So everything else is like, if you were something else, trans, um, I, I'm sorry, I can't think of what the, uh, the I Queer, intersex, yeah. You know, yeah uh, that you said, you didn't even have the language for it. No. Because you were just in this box. And perhaps that's the thing. We're always just in this box when we are outside of that box. And we have to come up with the language for it and know that, hey, it's okay to ex express ourselves how we see fit and to be fluid and to change and become who we are. Mm -hmm. and, and I don't think people should be afraid of that. Yeah. I don't think it's a bad thing. I, I liken it to, you know, um, going shopping for clothing. You know, there's lots of different coats on the rack and you try them on and you figure out which one fits and maybe that coat fits you for a while and then you try on a different coat and it's okay it there's no shame behind it yeah there shouldn't be any um uh, guilt or shame or 
uh, sort of oppressive behavior around that. We should, and I, I see this more now with young people than anything where they're, they're trying on all the coats and they're living for it. And that's great. And we should encourage that and not be afraid of what that means. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think this is a great point uh, to segue into our next point here uh, mm-hmm. with, with Applebet Soup. And of course, it's a safe space. You're able to try all, all the different coats and the different colors and the different styles and choose what uh, works for you. And it might be not just one coat. It might be a plethora of coats, right? Yes. Yep. So please, Michael, talk about what a safe space is and how HR leaders and organize, organizations, excuse me, can turn their workspaces into one? So uh, the concept of safe space dates back to um, uh, gay and lesbian bars in the 1960s, where they were the often the only space where uh, you'd be free from discrimination, oftentimes from police and, and other authorities, keeping in mind that uh, in Canada, uh, homosexuality wasn't decriminalized until 1969. Um, and technically in the United States, it wasn't decriminalized until 2006 um, when they, the U.S. Supreme Court overturned uh, Texas sodomy law. So safe space is about being in a space where you do not fear repercussion violence, discrimination uh, because of your sexuality or gender. And arguably, it could be about your race and ethnicity. It could be about anything. Yeah. But the reality is that for uh, people from the LGBTQ2 plus communities, as well as many other communities, um, there are lots of issues of safety and not being safe because there are threats of violence there are uh, threats of being fired because you are LGBTQ2+, um, losing your housing, um, any number of things. Violence against trans people is very, very high. I forget the numbers exactly. Um, And once you layer on the intersectionality of identities, violence against trans women of color uh, is exceptionally high. So safe space is about just having a space where you can be yourself and not have that fear. And why that's so important to members of the LGBTQ2 plus communities is that oftentimes we are the invisible minority. And that means that some of us, not all of us, have passing privilege, meaning that we can appear straight and or cisgender if we don't tell you that we are members of the LGBTQ2 plus communities. Looking at you, you're an African-American woman, you can't hide that. Looking at me, if you saw me walking down the street, if you didn't notice my nails, you would never know necessarily that I was gay and gender nonconforming. Safe space is necessary to ensure that I can bring my whole self to work that I can be myself, that I can talk about my husband and what I did on the weekend and do all of the things that straight cisgender people take for granted because no one's ever tried to kill them because they're queer, because they're straight. And considering, again, I mentioned that 30 states have banned 
trans athletes from participation, that's about safety. That's another level of, of this kind of, I, and I hesitate to use the word, but oppression where if I was, you know, a trans person in Florida, I would not feel very safe right now because we promote what we permit. And those legislations send a message to people who hold homophobic, biphobic, and transphobic thoughts that it's okay to treat LGBTQ2 plus people as less than. It, the only thing employers can do is create safe space that within their wall, their four walls, their sphere of influence, that it'll be a safe space. And that means that if there are issues of homophobia, biphobia, or transphobia in the workplace, that they will be dealt with swiftly and that they will not be dismissed or minimized, uh, which can have a really negative impact on the person who was the victim or the recipient of said act. Wow. That's a lot. Yeah. And I'm just going to take a, a beat here. Be sure to tune in to our next episode where Michael and I continue our conversation.